Welcome, everyone, to the Ready for the Draft podcast. I am your host, Greg Schutz. This is episode eight of the 2021 podcast series, breaking down the draft-eligible prospects, getting you ready for the NFL draft set to begin in April 2021. Week eight of the college football season now in the books. Kind of hard to believe that week we're already at week eight, given the pandemic, everything going on with COVID-19. But I'll tell you what, week eight marked the beginning of Big Ten football. I'm certainly excited about that. Both the Big Ten and Mountain West hitting the field. It's starting to feel more and more like there's a sense of normalcy in college football. In a couple of weeks, we're going to have the MAC and the Pac-12, which will mean all of the conferences in FBS will be hitting the field. Uh, and I'll tell you what, that's that's really an exciting time. We're going to be breaking down you know as many of these Big Ten games as possible. We'll take a look at all these games through week number eight, the games that I got to watch here in just a moment. But I think one of the things that we really have to speak to, uh, Alabama and Clemson. There are some issues for those teams going forward. Bama, first and foremost, in week eight, opening kickoff against Tennessee, Jalen Waddle gets rolled up on that kick return. Broken ankle out for the year. What does this do for Bama's title hopes? Well, it makes a big difference, and I'll tell you why. Teams can now double up on Devontae Smith, force the other receivers to beat them. And look, John Mechie, he's been that star in in the making as that number three receiver, kind of like what Jalen Waddle was a season ago. There's going to be a lot of pressure on number eight to really make a lot of of noise there uh, to fill in for uh, Jalen Waddle, and then that number three receiver is going to fall to Slade. Slade Bolden had six receptions against Tennessee, but I, I just you know I think they're taking a step back there in terms of of that receiving core. Huge loss for Jalen Waddle. You know, in terms of his draft stock, I don't think it hurts too much. I, I honestly believe that Jalen Waddle, when it's all said and done, he's going to be able to heal from this. This isn't going to be a situation where people are going to be questioning whether or not that ankle is going to heal. He's going to be 100%. I don't think there's going to be any issue there. And especially when he gets out there, runs a sub 4 3 we're not going to be talking about Jalen Waddle as well. You know, is he going to be someone who's going to be seeing his draft stock fall? If anything, I think this is going to be a guy that's still going to be competing with Jamar Chase to be that number one wideout. And I think... You know, with Devontae Smith, I think he's the guy that you're going to want to keep an eye on there for Alabama. If he still balls out without Jalen Waddell in the lineup, I think that's just going to improve his draft stock more than anything else. And I think watching Najee Harris, they're going to rely on him to run the football a lot more behind that big offensive line. Alex Leatherwood, uh, you know, Deontay Brown. You know, want to watch some draft stock there for those guys. Alex Leatherwood proving more and more that maybe he can be a left tackle at the next level. You know, more than likely probably a right tackle, but you know, I, I still see him kicking inside to guard. Deontay Brown has been dominating at the point of attack. Then you have Landon Dickerson, been able to stay healthy since he's moved on to Alabama from Florida State, where you know he was hit with the injury bug. I, I think you have three offensive linemen right there who could end up hearing their names called uh you know within the first four rounds of the draft. Najee Harris running behind that line. I think this is going to bode well for him and his push to potentially be that number one running back. He's competing with Travis Etienne, and I think you're going to see a lot more of Travis Etienne in both the the ground attack and through the air for Clemson because Trevor Lawrence, you know, it's been announced that he tested positive for COVID-19. So he's not going to be playing on Saturday. Now look, this past weekend, they went up against Syracuse. There weren't any issues. They were able to to roll to victory. They got off to kind of a slow start. You know, Trevor Lawrence kind of you know slow to get going, but they ended up winning 
won't be in the game there against Georgia Tech. And, you know, we're going to see the freshman out of St. John Bosco High School, DJ Uyagalele. And I think when you have a freshman in there, he's very mobile, a guy that can run really well, big kid. You're going to see him throw the ball. You know, Amari Rogers, I expect to see a big game out of him, but I think they're also going to rely on, on Travis Etienne running the football. I think also catching the football out of the backfield, you'll probably see a wheel route, probably see a couple of, uh, of angle routes as well. Uh, get him the ball in space and allow him to do his thing. Take some pressure off the young freshman. So Clemson, what does that mean long term? Uh, hopefully Trevor Lawrence is back in time to see Clemson take on Notre Dame. If not, I think that game's going to be a much closer game than people are going to be expecting. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how all of that shakes out. So I wanted to go ahead and at least address those two things at the beginning of the podcast because that really shakes, you know, that, that's a huge shakeup there for teams going forward uh, at the top of uh, you know, the FBS rankings. You look at Clemson, you have Alabama one and two. You know, obviously, Notre Dame sitting there at number three. You know, the, the number five team in the land is Ohio State. And we're going to be talking about them here just a moment because we're going to jump into Big Ten play first and foremost. We have to kind of start off with the Big Ten uh, because week eight, finally getting a chance to, to take the field. And the first game that we actually saw, Big Ten, loving to play those Friday night games. And uh, Wisconsin taking on Illinois in Madison. 45-7 final for the Badgers. And we got to see Graham Mertz. Entering, you know, he entered the game as the starter, taking over for, for Jack Cohn, who was injured. And, and Graham Mertz, have a day, man. 20-21, 248 yards and five touchdowns. Uh, really developed some chemistry with his tight end, Jake Ferguson, who had seven catches, 72 yards, and three touchdowns. But Mertz, you saw his ability to push the football down the field, uh, the accuracy, throwing receivers open, uh, the mobility, the pocket presence, the poise for a guy hit, you know, his age, you know, as a redshirt freshman, I thought was spectacular. And Wisconsin, they've, they've been trying to make that push. You know, they had Alex Hornibrook, Jack Cohn, Graham Mertz, if they can get that running game going, you know, Graham Mertz could it be that 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 key for Wisconsin to really make that next step there uh, among the elite there in the Big Ten Conference. Now, look, they're having to replace Jonathan Taylor, the running backs. You know, Garrett Groshek, uh, kind of a, a do everything type of a running back, had 70 yards on on 13 carries, catches the football out of the backfield. Nakia Watson, um, but there really hasn't been a running back at least to this point that's that you've looked at and said, hey, this is going to be the guy. Isaac Garendo looks like a speed back for them. But I, I don't see a running back right now that's really going to take the bull by the horns. So you're going to be looking at that quarterback. You're going to look at Graham Mertz, you know, uh, Danny Davis, Kendrick Pryor, a couple of reliable receivers. Um, but I, I think ultimately that connection with Jake Ferguson, that's going to be the key. Uh, and, and Jake Ferguson, look, he's in that long line of, of tight ends coming out of Wisconsin to make it to the next level. I think he's going to be the next guy in line. And look, you know, 6'5", 245 pounds. Um a solid blocker. I think that's why Wisconsin tight ends end up getting drafted. They're good inline blockers because, look, you know, Paul Christ, doesn't matter who the head coach of, of Wisconsin is either, but Paul Christ loves to run the football, loves to pound, pound, pound it between the tackles. And, and so that's what you're going to see out of Jake Ferguson. But you also saw the athleticism. He ran an out and up uh, to, to, to beat the, the the linebacker up the sideline, 35 yards. Um you know, this is a guy who's going to lower his shoulder to finish his routes as well. Uh, excellent hands. Um, and look, you know, this is a guy not only with his, you know, the blocking as an inline, but he can also climb to the linebacker, locate the, the moving target, 
gain leverage there and seal off that linebacker. You know, he, he's a guy I, I think that's going to move up some draft boards there at the tight end position when it's all said and done. Um, you know, Jack Sanborn, the, the inside linebacker, look, 6'2", 236-pound junior. He's really being looked at as that next linebacker. When you think of Wisconsin, you think of their linebackers from Vince Beagle to Joe Schobert, now Zach Bond. Jack Sanborn's going to be that next guy. And he's a guy, he has a tremendous arm over. That's the thing that you really see him when he's shooting the gaps on his blitzes, shooting through that A-gap, quick arm over to, to get up the middle. Um, a, a guy who, look, when he gets even with, with the quarterback, you're going to see a spin move back to the inside as well. Uh, comes downhill, filling gaps. I like Jan, Jack Sanborn. I want to see him come back for one more year. I think he needs to kind of, you know, be a more well-rounded linebacker. But I think the future is bright there for Jack Sanborn. Um, day three pick if he comes out right now. Um, but a guy I definitely keep your eye on. And then Cole Van Landen, the, the left tackle for, for Wisconsin, I thought had a decent day. 6'5", 305, uh, really quick out of his stance, getting into his kick slide. Uh, you saw the agility to pop up out of his stance and, and be a, a lead blocker, uh, getting to the second level on a screen for Garrett Groshek. Um, you see a lot of backpedaling out of him, and then he'll go ahead and, and extend into the defensive end. You know, kind of gets a little bit over his toes at times. You want to see him be a lot more upright and be able to easily mirror. Um, so I, I saw you know a lot of the leaning and, and bending at the waist out of Cole Van Lannon. But look, in the running game, this is going to be a guy that's going to be physical at the point of attack. I think he's he would be a solid right tackle. I just worry about some of the speed there, you know. And is he a guy that's going to be able to, uh, you know, as he's moving laterally, getting his hands on on somebody? Is he someone who's going to want to lean into that edge rusher? If he does that, he's going to wind up having that end slip that block and get into the backfield. So you have to watch that there for Cole Van Lannen. Um, for for Illinois, I think the, all eyes were on Josh Imator Bebe, the 6'1", 220-pound redshirt senior, the transfer out of USC. Uh, second year with the program there for the Fighting Illini. Um, you know, big target, a guy who has a 40-plus inch vertical leap. Uh, incredible athleticism out of this guy. Very explosive. Um, had a, an, an uncharacteristic drop in this game. But look, you know, had seven of the team's first 11 targets. Um, you know, didn't always get separation against some of the corners, whether it was Rashad Wild Goose or Fayon Hicks. Finished the game with just three catches for 26 yards. You want to see more uh, explosiveness and athleticism there out of out of Amator Bebe. You know that it's he's got it in him, but the question is, is, is he going to be able to put that together out on the football field? So now I mentioned Ohio State, number five team in the country. And I, I don't know if Justin Fields looked at Graham Mertz and said, anything you can do, I can do better. But Justin Fields, 20 of 21, 276 yards and a couple of touchdowns there uh, in a 52-17 route of uh, the Nebraska Cornhuskers at home in Ohio Stadium and uh, at the Horseshoe. And I'll tell you what, Justin Fields solidified his status as a number two quarterback in my eyes. You know, if anything, I was worried about his arm strength. He was one of those guys, you'd see the, the accuracy, the precision passing, but I worried about him throwing the football to the wide side. Can he drive the football down the field? And it looks like he's gotten a lot stronger. You know, he, he's able to make the throws down the field, uh, throwing to the wide side, um, hitting his receivers open. You know, he had a lave on a, uh, on a post, you know, and... Hit the hit him in stride, uh, making these throws 40, 50 yards down the field, making them look easy. And, uh, you know, it, it's one of those things to where he's putting the ball on a line 
um, you know, from from the left to the right, right to left. And, and that's one of the things, you know, I think Ohio State quarterbacks do really well is those posts, um, hitting those receivers in stride, allowing them to make plays after the catch. But then you also saw Justin Fields, you know, a guy who was bottled up in the backfield and was able to shrug off a tackle and gain four or five yards. Much more, much stronger quarterback in the pocket uh, than I remember him being from a season ago. And that just adds to the athleticism that he has as well. Getting outside the pocket, being able to throw on the move uh, with accuracy and touch. Uh, Justin Fields, to me, number two quarterback right now. I think I put him ahead of, of Trey Lance and Zach Wilson right now. Although Zach Wilson really trying to make a push into that conversation. So I think Justin Fields has to continue to, to make plays uh, week in and week out. Uh, you know, Chris Olave, look, you know, 6'1", 188-pound junior this dude is so smooth, man. His route running is, is ridiculous. You know, so sharp in and out of his cuts. You know, the body control, uh, easily getting his foot down on the sideline after coming across. Quarterback rolling out before going out, making sure to get that toe tap. Uh, you know, Alave, definitely a deep ball receiver. Uh, you know, was taking a bunch of big hits. Did end up fumbling a fo- the football and, and, and lost a fumble. But, uh, you know, Alave, again, big play receiver down the field. Uh, I've got him in my top 10. I've got him, you know, he, he's a guy, a receiver, especially if he continues with, with Justin Fields. I, I can see Olave being in that round one consideration without a doubt. Wyatt Davis, the, the guard, 6'4", 315 pounds. You know, this is another guy, look, uh, very powerful in his hands. You know, he blocked down on the defensive tackle and then uh, got a kick out on the linebacker to to free up T, uh, Master Teague on a run up the middle. You know, really fires off the ball, keeps those hands low underneath the pad level, plays with excellent leverage, gets himself into trouble at times when he gets too far over his toes. He'll lose a little bit of his balance, but you know, when he plays under control and plays you know with his feet underneath him, Wyatt Davis is absolutely a guy who can be a first-round pick there for the Buckeyes. Um, you know, Sean Wade, you know, played in, in the game. You know, he did come back. Uh, after you know announcing that he would opt out now that they are playing in 2020. Uh, and this is a guy, look, he, he does a really good job in bail technique, those eyes in on the quarterback, reading the throws. And, uh, you know, there was a throw to a receiver on the corner, left his man and uh, was able to get over the top for a near interception. Uh, you know, Sean Wade, to me, you know, he's in that consideration. He's a top five corner uh, and he's going to be doing battle with guys like J.C. Horn, and uh, Caleb Farley, and uh, you know, I think him coming back. You know, Caleb Farley is one of those corners who's opted out. I, I think Sean Wade is, is, you know, I think that's going to be better for him. You know, but I think he really has to show that he can be a lockdown corner on the outside. I think he has some of that versatility. Uh, you know, playing safety, playing uh, kind of a nickel. But can he be a lockdown corner on the outside? We know that J.C. Horn can. We know that Patrick Sertan can. And we know that Caleb Farley can. Can Sean Wade do that as well? That's really going to end up helping his draft stock because he's got Eric Stokes and Tyson Campbell, the Georgia duo, knocking on his door, uh, wanting to to move up in the in the draft. So I think he's going to have to really you know keep on his toes. 
Um, you know, Trey Sermon didn't really get to do a whole lot in the game. Uh, the transfer from from OU, I was really expecting to see a little bit more from him. Um, didn't really need need uh, you know Sermon, uh, Master Teague also running the football, but it was all about Justin Fields and that passing attack. You know, look, Garrett Wilson, we're going to be talking about him quite a bit in next year's draft class. Uh, the explosive receiver over the top. Uh, you know, a guy who, look, he's about as smooth as Chris Olave is, you know, and so when you have that dynamic duo, uh, it, you know, those guys can make Justin Fields look good, uh, even when he's not making, you know, pristine throws. But, you know, I, I've yet to see a, a throw from Justin Fields this season, you know, 20 and 21, you know, he only missed the one throw. And, uh, you know, he's a guy that's just on the money. Uh, and so I think the Buckeyes are in great hands offensively. Look, defensively, you know, I, you know, I, I talked about Sean Wade. Uh, you know, I thought Pete Werner um, showed the, the ability to play, you know, sideline to sideline. Uh, did a good job maintaining leverage um, on the outside as well, forcing the running backs back to the inside. Um, you know, there was a, a stretch play, showed his ability to get outside and then go downhill and, and drop him for a loss. Um, I, I thought where he got into trouble at times was getting into coverage. Um, he's athletic. He can cover tight ends, but I thought he got himself into trouble a little bit when he got into coverage. Um, Baron uh, Browning, uh, the 6'3", 240-pound senior, he's a guy that I think you know does a really good job uh, in coverage, and uh, he's somebody to continue to keep an eye on there defensively for the Buckeyes. Uh, you know, I, I think as we continue through the Big Ten play, I think the, the big game that everyone wanted to talk about, has to talk about, needs to talk about, is Michigan and Minnesota. And look, is Michigan back? You know, I, I think you're darn right they're back. You know, 49-24 winners, but we always knew that Michigan had a top-notch defense with Don Brown, but were they going to be able to throw the football? That's really been the biggest thing. They could run the football, but they didn't have that quarterback play. They finally have their quarterback, Joe Milton. This dude is an athlete at the quarterback position. Tremendous arm strength, 6'5", 243 yards. A guy that was you know, showing off the speed, getting to the outside. They say he has 4'6 speed. I wouldn't doubt it because he was making plays with his legs. But uh, it was the arm strength, his ability to throw receivers open, fit the ball into tight windows. I think everybody saw that uh, that incredible incompletion. I think that was the most impressive throw that you saw. He was rolling to his left. I think they were at the 48-yard line. He's rolling to the left and uh, coming across the field deep What was Giles Jackson, throwing to that front pylon just out of reach of the receiver. And uh, I'll tell you, it was effortless, his ability to flip those hips around, get the shoulders square, and throw the football uh, down the field a good 50-plus yards you know, with the momentum heading towards that, that left sideline, and he made it look easy. I mean, it was ridiculous, that throw, and had he made that catch, you know, that, that would have been you know, a highlight reel for him um, you know, for, for the rest of his career. But that said, you know, Joe Milton, I think the, the future is bright for Jim Harbaugh. And I think this is the kid that could end up taking them to that next level, potentially challenge uh, Ohio State there uh, for Big Ten supremacy. Why? Well, that defense, that defense, you know, it, it's the, the Michigan law firm duo of Hutchinson and Pay at the defensive end position that uh, really is wreaking havoc, uh, you know, and really just gave Tanner Morgan fits all night long. And I'll tell you what. You know, Sam Schluter, the, the left tackle for, for the Gophers, I thought, you know, did a, filled, did a decent job overall. 
whoever it was that was lining up against him. I thought when he was balanced, he did a good job getting his hands on him early, showed his ability to, to have that kick slide, keep his, his man in front of him. There were times where he was bull rushed back by both Pay and Hutchinson, and uh, times where his hands would get a little bit too high um, and, and would struggle to anchor a little bit. Um, you know, and was beaten with some quickness. But really, they did a lot of their damage on the right tackle, who was Blaze Andrews, was filling in for the mammoth, uh, you know, Daniel Fa'alele, Mount Fa'alele, the 6'9", 400-pounder, wasn't there at the right tackle position. And uh, Pay and Hutchinson really had a field day there. Uh, but but look, Quiddy Pay, we'll start with him, 6'4", 272 pounds, uh, a guy who we knew could set a hard edge against the run, and he did that in this game. Uh, did a great job stacking and shedding and, and getting to the ball carrier, especially behind the line of scrimmage. Four tackles, three tackles for loss, a couple of sacks uh, on the day. It was the pass rush ability that I think has really improved for number 19 there. Um, really explosive coming off the ball, timed the snap count really well, showed his ability to bend coming off the edge. A guy who's 6'4", 272 pounds, uh, shouldn't be able to bend as well as he does. You, you know, you see the hand strength. Um, you know, some power in those hands. Um, it was ability, the bull rush, like I said, was driving guys back into the backfield. Um, you know, and I, I just, I love the way that he plays. I love the motor, you know, his ability to attack, you know, the, the hands. You know, I think that's the thing that you see with both Pay and Hutchinson, the hands. His ability to attack the, the offensive tackle's hands, either with a slap or a rip coming off that edge flattening out in a hurry that tight turn you know that's really what you want to see you know how how tight you know can he make that turn are you know is there fluidity in those hips or is he tight definitely not you know he's very explosive he's rising up draft boards he's a guy that i've got into my top four among the pass rushers in this draft and look aiden hutchinson it was 6'6 270 pounds the, the junior has tremendous length and when you have a guy who's as tall as he is a lot of times you're seeing those guys stiff you know, as a board, they, they, they can't bend. Uh, they, they want to play too upright, but this guy's got bend. There was a, you know, he pinched down on the, on the offensive tackle running back, tried to bounce it to the outside. And you saw him get off of that, use his hands to kind of get off the offensive tackle and then bend backwards to end up dropping that running back for no gain. It was an incredible play. And it was just a, just a run play, just right there at the line of scrimmage. But you saw the athleticism. This is a guy, again, violent, violent hands. You know, he's going to look to strike you, get you off balance, and then use those hands uh, you know, to, to swipe, rip, and, and get into the backfield. You know, he was splitting double teams, splitting the right tackle and the right guard, uh, forcing his way into the backfield. And uh, a guy, you know, both he and Pay play with a nonstop motor. They're always looking to to get after the quarterback. And um, you know, they look. Uh, you know, I think Hutchinson, and, and you know, I think Pay is probably a first rounder right now. I, I think Hutchinson would probably be an early day two pick. But look, these guys aren't getting out of the first 40 picks if they decided that they wanted to enter the draft. They are explosive and uh, they're playmakers. And look, I look at, at uh, Aiden Hutchinson, and I think of Aaron Smith there for, for the Steelers, a guy who was just, you know, I thought he was a really solid athlete, really solid player, played for a number of years there for, for the Steelers, and I think Aiden Hutchinson has a, a decade-plus um, of, of NFL play in his future. Now, look, he's not the only guy. The, the you know Those aren't the only two there on the defensive line. Carlo Kemp, their, uh, their defensive tackle, this was a guy who was – beating guys off the ball he was beating the center you know, the center would snap the ball and he's trying to get his hands up 
to block Carlo Kemp. And Carlo Kemp's already by him. I mean, so explosive getting into the backfield, was disrupting plays behind the line of scrimmage. That's really what you want to see. And the dude's wearing the number two, you know, a single-digit guy there up front. You know that that guy's going to be a baller. Uh, you know, getting off the ball was really, you know, the, the big thing. And that's really his calling card. Um at the defensive tackle position. Um, if you look at the linebacker, another guy who's going to be taken in the top 90 picks if he decides to come out, he's only a retrograde sophomore, but Cam McGrone, 6'1", 236 pounds, showed the speed to be able to you know, bend around the right tackle to the quarterback for a sack. Um, you know, Bateman on a, on a jet sweep was able to uh, show some speed to the outside with Michael Barrett to get a tackle for loss there. Uh, you know, Muhammad Ibrahim, getting an off-tackle run, was able to uh, line up that running back and wrap him up for little gain. So this is a guy who shows that versatility, speed going through, shooting through the A-gap. You want to see him drop into coverage a little bit more, make some plays in coverage. But I think Cameron Groan's one of those guys. I wouldn't be surprised if if we're talking about him next year uh, as one of those top linebackers for that draft. Uh, so the, the, the defense there for, for Michigan, obviously a lot of fun. Uh, Jalen uh, Mayfield, I'm so happy that he was another guy that decided to come back. You know, who had originally opted out, decided to come back. He's 6'3", 320 pounds, retro sophomore. I think he is much more mobile now. You know, you see him, you know, you always saw the power, his ability to sustain his blocks, drive guys uh, down, the, down the field and bury them. But you saw the athleticism, very easy mover. You know, I, I thought, you know, the hand placement, his ability, you know, the balance, his ability to mirror his defenders. I really like Jalen Mayfield. You know, I, I think he's becoming a much more complete offensive tackle, and I think he's going to be competing to be that number three tackle in this draft. And look, Samuel Cosme hasn't put together great game film week in and week out. So there's a chance that Jalen Mayfield could be in that conversation, be that number two tackle behind Panay Sewell. It's, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Now, you know, we've been talking about Michigan, and we've been talking about their uh, you know their talent. There's quite a bit there, but there's one guy there from Michigan that you have to take notice of. Uh, if you if you love the, the throwbacks, the fullbacks, you got to watch Ben Mason, 6'3", 254 pounds, number 42. You know he he's played on on the defensive side of the football. You know, he's had nine catches uh, for touchdown. Also got a, a rushing touchdown. I'm sorry, he had nine rushing touchdowns. Got his first catch uh, receiving touchdown in the game. But you know the blocking ability. This is a dude who just is. is is a lead blocker for his running backs, a guy that's going to, uh, you know, punch you in the mouth, you know, very hard-nosed dude, um, you know, and, uh, you know, sealed off off the edge for Char, uh, Zach Charbonnet on a 70-yard run and uh, for a touchdown. I look at a guy like Ben Mason, and I'd love to see him go to Las Vegas. You know, Gruden, you know, he had work done in Mike Allstott. And I'm not saying that Ben Mason is going to be the runner that Mike Allstott was. You know, far from it. But you have a guy who could be that lead blocker for Josh Jacobs. I think that would end up taking some pressure off that that passing attack a little bit. You know, I, I really love Ben Mason. He's going to be a guy that's going to get drafted mid to late day three. But, you know, you look at guys like Andy Janovich. You know, there are fullbacks that are there in the league. And I think Ben Mason's one of those guys who's just so much fun to watch. You know, one of those guys that, uh, you know, tough as nails. You want him in your locker room. Now, transitioning to uh, to Minnesota, uh, you know, I, I thought Tanner Morgan was running for his life for, for much of the game. Uh, the 6'2", 215-pound uh, redshirt junior, 
66% completion percentage a season ago, 30 touchdowns, over 3,200 yards through the air. And, uh, you know, this was a guy, um, you know, the arm strength, you didn't necessarily see that to, um, from him, you know, throwing the football down the field. Um, you know, some of the, the throws, he was sailing them. You wouldn't actually put enough air under the football, more of a line drive down the field. Um, you know, heavy traffic, trying to throw the ball into double coverage, trying to force it into Rashad Bateman. And I think that's one of the things that you know, gets him into trouble, um, especially now that he doesn't have Tyler Johnson, is he's trying to look and trying to force it into Rashad Bateman. I think that's one of the things that Baker Mayfield got himself into trouble there with Cleveland was, you know, he, he's got Odell Beckham Jr. You know, now out for the year. But when Odell Beckham Jr. was in that game, he was always trying to force the ball to OBJ. Even though he had Jarvis Landry, Rashad Higgins, uh, the tight ends, he was still trying to get the ball to, to OBJ, and that got him into trouble. I, I think with Tanner Morgan, he's going to have to trust some of the other receivers, especially he's got Chris, Chris Ottman-Bell, who was kind of his uh, underneath guy. Uh, showed the ability to, to be a deep ball receiver in this game, uh, especially up the seam. I think Tanner Morgan needs to rebound. I think he and, and uh, Brock Purdy were the two guys that were really trying to break in um, to that that upper echelon of the quarterback position. They're both juniors. Both probably you know behoove them to come back for one more year. But Tanner Morgan, 18 to 31, 197 yards, touchdown and an interception. You know I, I think you know there's a little bit there that he needs to work on. And I mentioned Rashad Bateman. Look, 6'2", 210 pound junior. You know, a guy, you know, a season ago, 60 receptions, over 1,200 yards, and uh, and uh, 11 touchdowns, Big Ten wide receiver of the year, and you, you saw the explosiveness, you know, the, the ability to, to get the release off the line, you know, you saw some stutters, you know, at, ran this slant, had a stutter and a quick jab step to the outside, and then crossing the face of the, of the corner. Uh, making the catch for about eight yards and planning and, and reversing and getting the ball back outside had a big you know 28 yard gain on that play. Uh, you know, really a guy who uh, you know lines up outside, lines up in the slot, can you know move them all over the field, and uh, uses that big body to his advantage. You know, was running the slants. Uh, to perfection, getting those quick releases to the inside, and then as he makes that catch, he's he's making plays after the catch as well. Um, you know, but I think teams are going to really key on key in on him and force uh, you know Tanner Morgan to throw it to other receivers. Had nine catches, just 101 yards. Uh, so you know, this is a guy who uh, you know didn't really get a chance to have too many breakout you know deep plays in uh, in the game. And so he's one of those guys that I know is really chomping at the bit to, to make some plays down the field uh, as the season moves forward. Um, you know, Muhammad Ibrahim, you know, was the guy who I thought really impressed. 5'10", 210 pounds, physical, angry runner between the tackles. But, you know, I, I thought not only was he showing that, that power, but this was a guy who was showing some lateral agility, you know, the ability to put his foot in the ground, get lateral to, to make guys miss, and then bounce the football to the outside. Uh, that, that blend of speed and power, um, I, I think Ibrahim, look, you know, 26 carries uh, for 140 yards and two touchdowns, also have four catches on the day. Ibrahim's a guy, you know, you're looking at that running back class and there's about five or six running backs at the top. And then there's kind of this, this big drop off. Ibrahim, if he wanted to, could fit into that conversation. Probably going to be a guy that would be drafted on day three right now. But if he comes back, he can make a challenge to be a, a day two pick in the, the, the 2022 draft if he wanted to. 
Um, let's see, you know, Boya Mafi, uh, you know, number 34 for, for the Gophers, 6'4", 265 pounds. This dude, you want to talk about a guy who had the speed to power to just drive the left tackle back into the quarterback, um, then able to, to get off that block, force the quarterback to roll out, got off the block, and ended up getting that sack. This is a guy that they were saying on the broadcast has a 40-inch vertical leap and, and runs a, a 4 5 7 40. Uh, tremendous athlete. I thought that you know you saw again that speed to power, the explosiveness, the lower body explosiveness that they're talking about there with that vertical leap. He's a guy to really be on the lookout for. If he has a big year, I would expect him to end up entering the draft just because of that explosiveness, if nothing else. Now, Big Ten play, I, you know, you have to talk about Penn State and the loss to Indiana. 36-35 in overtime there in Bloomington, Indiana. Uh, and you wish there would have been a full stadium to have watched this game. You know, Michael Penix Jr. was the hero, a guy who, you know, they look, Tom Allen, more power to him, man. He decides he wants to go for two in the win, and he gets flushed out of the pocket. Michael Penix Jr. does. Gets to the pylon, and it looks like the, the ball is out just before it hits the pylon. But the issue with it is, is where is the nose of that football when the ball touches down, did it cross the, the the plane of the goal line or not? Really couldn't see based on the video. It was called, you know, two point conversion was successful on the field. So they went ahead and said that that play stood. So the Hoosiers wound up winning the game. And, uh, you know, I, I think with Penn State, offensively, they're really looking for a guy who's going to be that, that, that bell cow, that running back. Now that Journey Brown is, is out. Um, I thought, you know, Sean Clifford didn't look, you know, really sharp in this game. So I, I think offensively, Penn State's going to be uh, really looking for more of an identity. I thought Jason Owe, uh, the 6'2", or I'm sorry, 6'5", 252-pound redshirt sophomore. Um, you know, you're wanting to see a little bit more out of him. He just had a couple of tackles on the day. But, you know, someone who was still disruptive. You know, that sprinter stance, exploding into the, the right tackle, using those hands to disengage, um, getting outside to affect the run. You know, a guy who was coming off the edge. And really, I thought, you know, he, he struggled, I, I thought, to get off blocks in the first half. But as that second half went along, you saw him, you know, stuttering to the outside, using those hands and getting back to the inside. You saw some rip moves. You saw a variety of, of, uh, of handwork. There, trying to get to the to the quarterback, crossing the face of the right tackle, getting to the inside as well. Um, I think Jason Jason Owe is going to be someone who's going to continue to get better as the season progresses. Same with uh, Tarek Castro Field, six one hundred eighty eight pound senior corner. This is a guy. Look, you know, there's no no more uh, John Reed. Uh, you know, Amani Oruwariye, uh, another Penn State corner that's in the league. You know, the field corner here. You know, and bail technique. Uh, a guy who was reading the quarterback's eyes, doing a really good job, uh, driving on the football. Um, I, I'm a big fan of Castro Fields. He's a guy that I think is just going to continue to get better and better. Um, I thought Wap Fillior, uh, the, the receiver for Indiana, had a decent day. 5'11", 180 pounds. Um, you know, had 1,000 yards, just the seventh receiver in Indiana history to be able to do that. Really a good route runner, a guy who I think is athletic and elusive in space in the open field, a guy who could end up being a slot receiver at the next level. Um, but they kept calling Pat Fryermuth Baby Gronk, you know, number, number 87, 6'5", 258, and uh, showed off some really strong hands. He reminds you a lot of Gronk with the way that he, that he runs, 
um, the route running ability, uh, his ability to make some, you know, to make plays after the catch. You know, get, takes a hitch play and get, turns up the field and, and gets down the uh, down the field to make some plays after the catch. You know, really want to see that out of your tight end. Had seven catches um, for for 60 yards and a touchdown in the game. Friermuth, to me, I, I think right now still the most complete tight end in this draft. Um, and if nothing else, I think he and Sean Clifford have some chemistry. So I wouldn't be surprised if Sean Clifford's going to continue to look to him. Um, but you saw him um, running a double double move. Um, you know, had the safety come down, was able to get back down the field uh, for a 16-yard gain. Um, you know, I, I think Friermuth, you know, is is continuing to. Uh, to show why people are talking about him as a potential first rounder. I'll tell you, Michael Mennett, the center, 6'4", 308, showed off some athleticism, man. You know, real wide base, stays low, really good feet, and um, you know, gets to the second level, shoving the linebackers down, uh, really springing the running backs for extra yards, getting under that defensive tackle's pad level in the running game, uh, pancake blocks. They're at that center position. I think Michael Mennett definitely helped his draft stock as well, continuing to get that uptick. And uh, for the Hoosiers, that running back, Stevie Scott, 6'2", 231. You hope that his guy stays healthy because he's a power back between the tackles, also shows off some, some pretty good hands. A guy who has the vision to see the hole, puts his foot in the ground, gets north and south. A guy that's not going to really want to dance in the backfield, very decisive, wants to make plays. And uh, a guy who, look, he's only a junior, will probably come back for one more year. But you know, a guy who... Um, I, I think is going to continue to get better and better there for the Hoosiers. And then finally, how about Rutgers, man? You know, you, you look at Big Ten, another upset, if you will. Greg Schiano going back to uh, to Piscataway there in Jersey. They, they, they take on Michigan State. They roll into Sparty Stadium, and they take down Michigan State. You know, Mel Tucker, the new head coach there, you know, taking the place of a Mark D'Antonio. And uh, they end up beating Rutgers. I'm sorry, Rutgers ends up beating Mel, Mel Tucker in his debut. And, uh, you know, this was a, a team. There are a bunch of, of, uh, of transfers. I think that's one of the things that you can really say about Greg Schiano was he made this team, you know, got this team. You know, they look much different. You know, I think defensively they're, they're much more sound. And, and I'll tell you what, they've got two linebackers who could be hearing their names called on draft day. Uh, Tyshawn Fogg, 6'1", 232 pounds, led the team in tackles a season ago with 104. Uh, a guy who I thought sh- was shooting through the A-gap, getting downhill. A guy who showed his ability to drop into coverage, the lateral quickness getting to the outside. Uh, and then uh, Ola Kunle uh, Fatukasi, 6'1", 234 pounds, a guy, another guy with excellent range, uh, getting depth, dropping into coverage, closing quickly, coming downhill in the open field. Uh, this is a guy I thought he worked really well with Fog as well, um, getting to the outside, showing that outside leverage and allowing Tyshawn Fogg to run the alley and make plays on the running back. These are two guys who I think could end up hearing their names called there for Rutgers. Brendan White, the transfer from Ohio State, you know, the strong safety, 6'2", 220 pounds. This is a guy, you know, he took a poor angle on a swing pass to uh, to Jaden Reed on a big touchdown reception. He was the last man to to, to make that, that tackle and ultimately missed out on that. Then there was a 30-yard touchdown to, to Jalen Na- uh, Naylor. Uh, read the throw, gets over to the sideline. 
He's the only guy that can make a play there in the open field along the sideline and misses his tackle, and Naylor ends up going in for that touchdown. He wound up getting the interception at the end of the game, uh, you know, right there up the sideline, quarterback through as, as he was hit, was able to jump the route, undercut it uh, for that game-sealing tight end. But look, Brendan White, you know, there's a reason why he ultimately transferred from Ohio State, you know, because he wasn't going to end up seeing the field quite as much uh, with a lot of those younger guys. I think Marcus Hooker wound up taking his job. And, uh, you know, I thought he he struggled a little bit in this game. Um, one safety that I was impressed with was Xavier Henderson there for, for Sparty. 6'1", 210 pounds, the junior, very sure tackler in the open field, not afraid to come downhill against the run. Um, you know, covering the running back out of the backfield uh, in motion. Um Made the catch, comes downhill, no yak, drives through the running back as well. Um, So to me, I look at Xavier Henderson. I thought that he's continuing to get better and better. Only a junior can end up coming back. I thought he helped himself. And then, you know, the remaining games, Purdue, without Rondale Moore, they end up beating Iowa 24-20 at Ross-Aid Stadium. And, uh, you know, David Bell, look, you know, you don't need Rondale Moore when David Bell is catching, you know, 13 passes for 121 yards and three touchdowns, Iowa without Nate Stanley, Tyler Goodson, the running back, uh, you know, I, I think Purdue, that was a bit of a surprise. And then how about Northwestern taking down Mike Loxley's, uh, you know, Maryland Terrapins, 43-3. to They've got a quarterback in Peyton Ramsey, the transfer from Indiana, 23 of 30, 212 yards and a touchdown. I think that... Uh, linebacking core with Patty Fisher and Blake Gallagher really looking to you know just put last year behind him you know I think you know they started off their career so strong there in Evanston Illinois and I think they really want to close out on a strong note and I thought this was definitely a great showing by them and a great start to their season so those weren't the only games that were on the obviously on the docket there uh, for week eight but uh, definitely games that I was keeping an eye on. And, uh, you know, I think the week really started there with Tulsa. That's the team to really watch. 42-13 winners against South Florida on Thursday. And, uh, look, my favorite player is Avon Collins. Number 23, 6'4", 260, 265 pounds. The junior, this is a guy, look, you know, he comes... Uh, comes off the edge, rushing the quarterback, a guy who was able to make plays, you know, laterally against the run. Uh, there was a pitch uh, to the running back into the into the boundary, uh, able to chase down that running back. Both he and the uh, the corner coming up, corner ends up putting his helmet on the football, but Zayvon Collins over the top as well to force that fumble. Uh, this is a dude, you know, who just continues to make plays. Uh, you know, he's a, a gymnast. As a child, and you see some of that athleticism there. Um, you know, there was a third down play, third and six from the 39. He starts to rush, then read the quarterback's eyes, got into the passing lane, jumps up and picks off the pass, then showed off his speed uh, to take off 38 yard interception return for touchdown. Zaven Collins, remember that name. He's a guy, look, he's a day two pick in my book. And, you know, he's the guy that really should be in first-round consideration because he can do a little bit of everything. He's a three-down, absolutely a three-down player. 
uh, UAB, Louisiana, uh, Friday night game there at Legion Field. And, uh, you know, the Raging Cage was 24-20 winners. You know, the battle of the running backs, Elijah Mitchell, Trey Regis, and then uh, Spencer Brown. And look, Spencer Brown, I thought, had the day uh, amongst the running backs. 28 carries, 128 yards, two touchdowns. Well, this is a guy who's always known for his power, but I think the, the, the weight loss that he had, he cut quite a bit of weight made him a lot more elusive you know, in, in the open field. You know, you think of a guy like Kareem Hunt, and when he was coming out of Tulsa, I'm sorry, out of Toledo, Kareem Hunt lost some weight, showed off his ability to be a lot more explosive as a running back, and I think you look at Spencer Brown, the same type of a thing. You see more lateral agility to go with uh, his ability to, to lower the pads and, and get after guys. Uh, North Carolina, North Carolina State, you know, the, the big North Carolina Bowl there. Uh, Keenan Memorial Stadium in Chapel Hill. The Tar Heels taking down the Wolfpack 28-21 in a battle of ranked opponents. And uh, Sam Howell uh, having, a, having a solid day. You know, he was 18-29, 252 yards and a score. You know, he struggled a little bit with accuracy at times. But uh, look, you know, when you've got the running back, you know, thunder and lightning duo of Michael Carter and Javante Williams, you know, Michael Carter showing his ability to stop and start, make guys miss in the open field, showed some speed to the outside as well. Uh, you know, Carter uh, finished the day 17 carries, 106 yards and a score. And then Javante Williams, man, you know, 19 carries, over 160 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, showing off, you know, the ability to, to run with a, a low pad level, runs through contact, the leg drive, keep empowering for extra yards. But uh, a guy who also showed the ability to bounce the runs to the outside and show off some speed. If I'm Javante Williams, I come back for one more year, play with Sam Howell and set myself up for that 2022 draft. I think he's one of those guys who's going to be just an ascending prospect for whenever he comes out and enters the draft. Uh, Deami Brown, uh, he's dropping way too many balls. You know, dropped a deep ball over his shoulder, 35 yards down the field, and uh, had a step on the receiver and just drops it. Uh, you know, he's one of those guys that, uh, you know, he's only a junior. He should probably come back. A lot of people, there's a lot of hype around him right now. I think Deami Brown needs to really shore up those hands, be a much more reliable uh, receiver. Uh, chat. Uh, cha- Chas Surratt, 6'2", 225 pound, linebacker, the converted quarterback. You see the instincts, his ability to make the diagnosis, making his break on, on the football and coverage. Uh, also does a really good go- good job scraping over the top, uh, making plays against the run. Uh, he'll, he will get a little bit too aggressive, uh, jumping off sides on some of his blitzes. Um, did a really go- good job. You know, the quarterback started to roll out. He's mirroring the quarterback after spying. Um, quarterback, you know, starts up again, starts chasing, able to wrap him up in the open field, gets a sack and a forced fumble, ended up a recovery there by UNC. I think Chaz Surratt's a guy, he's still new to the position, still learning, but I think the instincts that he brings to the position from being a quarterback are what's really going to help him, you know, uh, propel him to the next level. Uh, Louis, uh, Louisville taking on Florida, uh, I'm sorry, Florida State. Seminoles, you know, they they thought they had some some forward momentum, you know, with that program, and then a 48 to 16 just drubbing. Uh, you know, Jordan Travis really struggled with his accuracy, just 14 to 32 for 140 41 yards, a touchdown and an interception. But uh, really, it was the the, the, the Jalen Hawkins show. Uh, 16 carries, 174 yards, three touchdowns on the day, and uh, you know, the thing with 
that I really love about Jalen Hawkins. You know, he's 5'9", 196 pounds, so strong um, for a guy his size. He's, he's very explosive, can get out to the, to the wide side, um, you know, does a really good job with those lateral cuts, um, seeing daylight, making those bouncing into the outside, but he's so strong, that contact balance, his ability to really drop that pad level, finish his runs, um, that's really what's been impressing me most about number 10 there for the Cardinals. Um, Tutu Atwell, look, you know, 29 receptions coming into the game. Um, you know, he's a, he's a smaller receiver, just 5'9", 165 pounds. But the junior had a 58-yard touchdown, ran across the field uh, deep, beat Travis J. the corner, came across the field, tracked the ball really well, and uh, able to catch the football in stride, got up field for the touchdown. Um, you know, really explosive on his, on his cuts. You know, especially with it, with that route running ability, a guy that can make plays in the open field. Had a 65 yard reception as well. Made a downfield block to help uh, help his quarterback Malik Cunningham get some extra yards. He's just a gamer, a guy who I have in my top 10. He'll be a day a day two pick in the draft should he decide to come out. Um, you know, I thought Asante Samuel Jr. for Florida State looked solid. Uh, 5'10", 184 pounds, the junior. Stayed in phase, stayed low in his back pedal throughout the, throughout the game. Um, no real wasted movement with the receiver on the out. Transitioned really well to, to drive on the football. Um, you know, I, I think he just continues to impress, as does Joshua Kando. 6'7", 265 pounds, redshirt sophomore. A guy who does a really good job. He, he starts up the field to the outside. Able to then cross the face of the left tackle, speed the power to get to the quarterback. Uh, a guy who can bend around the edge a little bit as well, can be very disruptive in the backfield. And then there's Marvin Wilson. 6'5", 305. There's no doubt that this guy has tremendous hands. I think that's the thing that I think everyone can agree with. He has really good hands. Uh, arm over is kind of his go-to move and wants to shoot into the backfield in a hurry. But uh, a guy who he'll make a lot of, you know, he'll, he'll chase the football. You know, you'll see some effort. I think the effort's still inconsistent. The pad level at times will get uh, will get inconsistent. When he wants to fire off the ball, I, I think you can really see. I worry about his conditioning a little bit. He's the guy for me that everyone's talking about all of this, you know, this uh, potential. But where's the production? I keep talking about a 2019 uh, season, and everyone wants to throw up his statistics. They're basically in two games. That's where the most of that production came from. And, uh, you know, I, I think with Marvin Wilson, it's one of those things to where can we just put up or shut up? I just I want to see him really go out there and perform. And that's really what I've been waiting for him to do. Uh, OU against TCU, uh, the Sooners, 33-14 winners in Amon G. Carter Stadium. Uh, you know, Spencer Rattler, over 300 yards and, and a couple of scores there for the Sooners. Um, you know, Charleston Rambo still waiting for him to really be a playmaker there, uh, be that receiver, not really seeing it. But it's a tight end who's stepping up. Austin Stogner, um, you know, a, a week ago against Texas, uh, looking really good in the passing game there. But uh, this week, really struggled to get things going. Why? Because it was Trev uh, Trevon Merrig, uh, the 6'2", 202-pound junior free safety. He was covering Stogner, was really physical with him. Uh, Stogner was trying to post him up over the middle on a third down, but you know, Morig, I'm sorry, Merrig really getting physical, getting a hand in to knock the football away to force a fourth down. Very tight coverage on on Stogner again over the middle, able to dislodge the football as well as as the ball was arriving. Uh, third and fourteen, um, throw to 
you know, to the wide side, able to, to dive and undercut the route to make a, a play on the football there as well. Fill, uh, fills the hole downhill to wrap up Seth McGowan, one yard shy of the first down on a second and four. Um, you know, I think Trevor Merrig, to me, you know, three tackles, three pass breakups in the game. He's the guy that's continuing to prove week in and week out why he should be considered the number one safety when it's all said and done. And then Garrett Wallow, I compare him to Ty Summers. Ty Summers, you know, there for the Packers now. 6'2", 230 pounds, a guy who just always seems to be around the football, pursues the quarterback well downhill, uh, flushing through the A-gap. A guy who plays sideline to sideline. Look, 11 tackles, uh, two quarterback curries, and a, and a half tackle for loss. Uh, Garrett Wallow, to me, I think he'll be a, a solid day three pick. Won't be one of those flashy names that everyone gets excited about, but a guy who's going to make an NFL roster and a guy that I think will end up starting at some point in his career. Notre Dame traveling to Heinz Field. Pittsburgh without Kenny Pickett, and it really showed. It showed what Kenny Pickett means to that offense. They really couldn't get anything going with Joey Yellen there at the quarterback position. And uh, they, they struggled to get really get anything going. Notre Dame, 45-3 to three winners. And, uh, you know, Kyron Willems just, just 38 yards on the ground. I, I think Ian Book, they're trying to really get him going. Uh, still just over 50% completion percentage there, but still had 312 yards, three touchdowns on the day. And uh, you really wanted to see what Patrick Jones and, and Rashad Weaver were going to do. Uh, between the two of them, four quarterback hurries, a couple of tackles for loss. And uh, you wanted to see them go up against that offensive line. And, and that's really the biggest thing. You know, any of the, the top pass rushers, you want to see what they can do against a veteran offensive line like Notre Dame. And, and I'll tell you what, you know, Patrick Jones, look, 6'5", 260 pounds, very explosive off the ball, loves to get in that sprinter stance, get both hands on the ground, uh, dips inside, um, does a really good job there. But you know, I think Liam Eikenberg, Showed, showed the ability to force force him up the field and get him away from the pocket. Um, I, I thought that uh, you know Patrick Jones a little inconsistent with with the game as well, but you know the the motor is really the biggest thing that you see. He's always working to the quarterback, never gives up on a play. That's one of the things that you really want to see out of your pass rushers. And then Rashad Weaver showing that he's all the way back from the injury from a season ago, 6'5", 270 pounds, the redshirt senior. Um, you see the uh, the slap. Uh, to really get uh, to really throw Liam Eikenberg off, tight turn, getting around the corner, getting to, to Ian Book, you know, that dip to, to get under the pad level and flatten out in a hurry. Um, you know, Rashad Weaver to me, uh, just continuing to to show that speed. You know, beating Robert Hainsey, the right tackle, uh, getting a rush to the inside, um, attacked. Eichenberg's hands with a quick slap and getting to the edge, getting you know pressure on Ian Book. It just it wasn't consistent enough, and I think that was really Liam Eichenberg struggled at the at the beginning of the game. Had a personal foul penalty against him, but I, I thought you know there, he, he has 31 starts for a reason. And once he was able to fire out of his stance and really time you know understand the speed that he was going up against, you, you saw him really get that base and show you know really when he was light on his feet stayed up you know kept uh, more upright not leaning forward his ability to mirror these guys once he got his hands on him he wasn't letting go and that was the biggest thing when Patrick Jones and, and Rashad Weaver were winning against him they were beating him off the ball they were able to use their hands to slap his hands away before he could really get get those hands on them and then they were bending around him once he was able to get up you know beat them to the edge get his hands on them it was all over 
I thought Liam Eikenberg really helped himself uh, you know, when it was all said and done there in that game. I thought you know, both Jarrett Patterson and Jimmy Morrissey, the battle of the centers, uh, Jarrett Patterson, combo block on the defensive tackle and the linebacker, um, you know, a guy who just you know, plays with leverage, does an excellent job there in the middle, uh, probably the, the top-graded center, I, I would say, in the in the draft class. But Jimmy Morrissey, look, he's 6'3", 305. You saw the lateral agility to keep the linebacker Bo Bauer in front of him. Um, the feet, you know, that's one of the things that you really saw out of him, you know, in pass protection and then climbing to the second level um, as a lead blocker for the running back up the middle. That's one of the things the running back really running off of that hip. Um, but I thought, you know, the guy that really kind of struggled was, was Paris Ford. You know, the junior strong safety, taking some poor angles, uh, going for the football on a dig route by Ben Skoranek. Ultimately missed the football, and Skoranek ends up going in for a score. Picked up Tommy Tremble at the goal line. Read the throw to, to uh, Michael Mayer, able to lead, get off of him, and uh, was able to make a play on the football, but wasn't able to make the pick. Did get the pass breakup, but should have actually hauled in that pass. Ended up not doing so. Notre Dame ends up getting a, a score out of it. Um, I thought he he just he he struggled at times in coverage. I thought there were times where he was struggling over the top as well. Um, so Paris Ford to me, I thought really uh, really struggled there against Notre Dame. And uh, I think he's going to be looking to to rebound. One more guy to mention, Aaron Banks, number 69, playing alongside Liam Eikenberg there at right guard. Or I'm sorry, at left guard, 6'6", 330 pounds, able to get out and pull for, for his running back, um, plays with a wide base, able to, to anchor, uh, getting those hands on the chest plate, sit down. I like Aaron Banks as a guard. I think he's another guy who's continuing to help his draft stock. Um, staying in the top 10, Oklahoma State, the number six ranked Cowboys, taking on the 17th ranked Iowa State Cyclones. Uh, 24-21 final there for Oklahoma State. Um, you know, you did see Chuba Hubbard, 25 carries, 139 yards, um, and a touchdown in the game. Uh, but it was really about their defense. I think that was really the, the, the key there um, to the victory was Oklahoma State continuing to be disruptive, uh, making plays there against Brock Purdy, uh, pressuring him, forcing him to... Uh, to just throw throw the football up. That was really one of the things that you saw when he panicked and he's under pressure. I'm going to throw the football up, try to get it to Charlie Kohler or to Chase Allen or to Dylan Sainer. Use those big receivers. Xavier Hutchinson, 6'4", and uh, Sean Shaw is 6'6". You know, you've got all this height. He's just going to throw the football up and hope that his receiver makes a play on it. You want to see Brock Purdy be a lot more polished. I thought that, you know, you did see some of the pocket presence at times, but I think he's one of those guys that panics at times and will just sit there and try to throw the football up. Um, you know, had a receiver open down the field, 40-plus uh, yards in the air. It was still underthrown. And uh, Colby Harvell peeled the safety, was able to climb the ladder to haul in the interception. Um... Trace Ford, only a sophomore, but man, this guy is going to be so explosive. You know, he's going to be a guy that we're going to be talking about at the top of, of next year's draft. 6'4", 248, very athletic, able to drop into coverage against Charlie Kohler, 18 yards down the field, forced Purdy to really sail the football over him, trying to drop it in over him, wasn't able to really do so. A guy that, uh, you know, they were lining him up all over the field. You saw him walking um, inside and out. You know, he walked inside and would shoot the gaps, you know, put his hand in the dirt as a defensive tackle and rushed the quarterback. Uh, really did a good job bending around the uh, interior lineman on a stunt, getting his hands up to bat a football down. 
He's a guy that we're going to be talking about for a while. Same goes for, for Brees Hall, the running back, 6'1", 215-pound uh, sophomore, and uh, a guy who, you know, he, he, the vision, the patience to wait for his blocks, his ability to see the see the hole, put his foot in the ground, get north and south, 20 carries, 185 yards, and a touchdown. Really had a better day than Chuba Hubbard overall. Um, I, I think when you see Chuba Hubbard, very patient runner as well. Um, but he was one of those things to where you're expecting him to really make some plays. And when he got a hole, he'd shoot through that hole. Really didn't have to make a whole lot of guys miss. You know, you see some of the contact balance. You see some of the speed. But I, I think there's some better running backs right now that are out there that are making plays. Even when there's nothing there, you're going to see guys reverse field. You're going to see guys making some of their cuts in the, in the open field. I don't really see it as much out of Chuba Hubbard right now. Um, I've got him still as my number three running back. I just I don't see that there's another running back that's going to uh, jump him right now. But uh, you know I, I'm I'm just the way I watch him. You know he, it's 130 yards on the ground, and I'm still sitting there wanting wanting a little bit more from him. And uh, I can't really put on put my finger on it exactly what it is. Uh, I thought Tevin Jenkins, though, the 6'6", 320-pound right tackle, looked really good for Oklahoma State. A uh, guy who's going to challenge for that first-round consideration, probably going to be a day-two pick, um, but very physical. But he latched on. Um, he'll drive his man away from the pocket. Does a really good job there. You know, blocking down on Jaquan Bailey, set the edge for the quarterback. Jaquan Bailey really struggled in this game to get off blocks. I thought he he was kind of thrown around like a rag doll. Really looked more like just a dude out there than than really a guy that you're expecting to be one of those top pass rushers. Um, you know, Tevin Jenkins blocking down on the defensive end, caving in the right side, then moving on to the linebacker, drove him away from the line of scrimmage as well. Uh, the athleticism again, climbing to the to the second level, getting to Jake Hummel, hits that moving target and uh, shoving him down. Um, sustaining his blocks as a pass protector for, for three to four seconds, allowing Spencer Sanders to make plays. I think Tevin Jenkins, the physicality in the running game and then the athleticism as a as a pass blocker and then the ability to play both left and right tackle. Started the season at left tackle due to an injury, kicked over to the right side. I think Tevin Jenkins has a chance to be one of those guys that sneaks into round number one. Um, you know, I, I really like what he's he's been able to do. Uh, Tylen Wallace, the receiver there, 5'11", 187 pounds. I think his ability to play through, uh, play through the dram- through the jam. He was forced out by the corner, came back in, gets down the sideline on the 35-yard gain. Um, you know, he he just he loves contact, and I think that's one of the things that's so much fun uh, watching him play. But then you also saw him block down the field. You know, really at the front pylon on the on the cornerback, helping Spencer Sanders get a score on a quarterback run. Um, you know, I, I think Tylen Wallace to me is just the guy who just continues. You know, he's all the way back from the injury. This is a guy who was a Blitnikoff Award finalist. You know, this is one of the teams that has a Blitnikoff Award finalist from 2018 and a Doak Walker Award finalist from 2019 on the same roster. Um, you know, they're really a lot of fun to watch. And, uh, you know, I think now that the Cowboys have a legitimate defense, this may be the best, best team overall that Mike Gundy has had, especially now that they've got Spencer Sanders back, you know, really adds a new dynamic there to that, that passing attack. Boise State taking on Utah State. I mentioned the Mountain West is back. The Blue Turf, obviously when you're talking about Mountain West, you have to talk about the Blue Turf. 42-13 winners there against Utah State. Hank Bachmeyer, uh, the, the sophomore, 268 yards passing, three touchdowns. Getting the football to his top wideout, Khalil Shakir. Seven catches, 123 yards, two touchdowns. 
Also had three carries for over 30 yards as well. Very explosive as a receiver. He's only a junior. He'll probably come back for one more year. But a guy who was lining up outside in the slot as a running back had a 52-yard touchdown on a double move. Um, faked uh, you know, really a, a corner, then turned to that post, crossed the face of the cornerback, and uh, you know, really showed off that speed to go the distance. A guy that's going to get vertical in a hurry, especially on the jet sweep. There's a tip pass over the middle, show that concentration as a receiver. Really like what Khalil Shakir is doing. George Halani, maybe one of the best running backs nobody's really talking about. He's only a sophomore, but he's coming back for one more season. But a guy who I think has speed between the tackles, uh, showed some, some athleticism catching the football. He's added weight to his frame as well. You give him one more year in the weight room, if he can bulk up to 215 or so, I think George Halani is going to be a guy that people are going to be talking about as one of those surprise running backs in next year's draft class. Defensively for Boise State, Riley Wimpy, number 44, 6'1", 233 pounds. Blitzen, shooting holes, pressuring the quarterback as he's throwing, very active around the line of scrimmage, the defensive leader. Uh, Riley Wimpy, to me, is going to be a day three guy, but a guy who I think is going to challenge for, uh, you know, for, for playing time. Seven tackles and a sack on the day to lead the Broncos uh, defensively. LSU, South Carolina in Baton Rouge, 52-24. LSU taking down South Carolina. And look, you know, when, when Miles Brennan, when he went out due to injury, you know, that lower leg injury, TJ Finley, what were you going to expect from the freshman? Well, have a day, kid. 17 to 21, 285 yards, a couple of touchdowns, did throw a pick, but then had eight carries uh, for 24 yards and a touchdown as well. Um, you know, really showed that uh, he's kind of the future of this program and uh, love the athleticism, love the arm strength. And uh, look, I mentioned Terrace Marshall earlier, 6'3", 200 pounds, you know, making catches on, on these quick slants. That's one of the things that you saw, the explosiveness there, uh, that release to the inside. Um, but you know, there was one quick slant. He actually slammed on the brakes, reversed the field, getting to the other side for extra yards, uh, lined up in the slot against uh, J.C. Horn, the matchup that everyone wanted to see. Got more of a, a, a rub there by by Giante Kirkland and uh, Horn was was kind of thrown off. Ran that wheel route, an easy uh, easy catch there for an 11 yard touchdown. Tracks the ball well over his shoulder. Uh, you know there was another slant. Uh, you know really kind of that. You know it was a nice route because he. You know, the, the hesitation allowed this this drag to come across, took some defenders with him, and then cut made this real quick cut on a slant. And I, uh, Israel Mukuamu wasn't able to keep up with him, breaks a tackle, and then takes off um, for a 51-yard touchdown. You see some explosiveness to him. You see better route running out of him as well. I think Terrace Marshall's a guy, look, he had to be the guy this year for LSU with uh, you know Justin Jefferson, no longer there, J, uh, and Jamar Chase opting out. Terrace Marshall, to me, is really making a name for himself and a guy who should be in that first-round consideration. I mentioned J.C. Uh, Horn, uh, tight coverage uh, on on the line as well. You know, looking to jam all all day long, physical up the sideline, um, step for step with with Racy McMath. Uh, a guy, you know, against Eric Gilbert, the big tight end, the freshman tight end, got his hands on the tight end on the fade, fighting for the football, had that inside leverage, was able to go right up with him, um, staying on his inside hip, excellent coverage there. 
Um, yeah, you know, he got beat on that on that rub route, but really it was that rub that kind of forced him to kind of alter his his movement. And uh, I think that's really all that Terrace Marshall needed to create that separation. But I thought J.C. Horn, you know, outside of that, really had a nice day. Israel Mukuamu, you know, had that um, that slant that he got beaten for that touchdown on. But uh, quarterback throw to the wide side, down the field, um, playing in off coverage, read the quarterback, jumped the route, and, and had an interception, had a nice return as well. He's 6'4", 205. That's really where I think he's bad his best is in zone coverage. Allow him to read the quarterback's eyes and make plays. When you have that 6'4 corner in man-to-man, that's really where you start to worry a little bit. Can he maintain? Um, I, I saw uh, him against T. Higgins a season ago where he really turned him around on this uh, this corner route. It was you know basically a post corner, and uh, Mukuamu was still thinking post when uh, Higgins snapped back on the corner and left him out to dry. Um, you know, I, I think Jabril Cox is a guy that you have to talk about. 6'4", 232 pounds, the inside linebacker there at LSU. Um, a guy who has a nose for the football around the line of scrimmage. You know, does a really good job dropping into coverage. You know, has all of those, I think, four pick sixes in his career now. Um, but does a great job. You know, he picks up the running back out of the backfield, stride for stride uh, on these wheel routes. And, uh, you know, the, the tight coverage, he's able to get out there in a hurry and doesn't really allow the, the, the running back to, to gain an edge. Also picked up KV on Mullins, the tight end, who was really having a field day against some of the other linebackers, um, but was able to pick him up, run stride for stride with him up the seam, really didn't allow him to get going either. Uh, I think Jabril Cox is a guy who can end up being a three-down linebacker at the next level. Uh, Jacoby Stevens, on the other hand, 6'2", 230 pounds. He's a safety they, they had him out there uh, covering Mullins, got beaten on a corner. Uh, quarterback was under pressure, ended up getting sacked by Andre Anthony. But, man, you know, if Colin Hill was able to, to find KV on Mullins, might have had a touchdown because, you know, Jacoby Stevens really struggled with some of that coverage ability. This is a guy who wants to play around the line of scrimmage. Don't put him into coverage if you don't have to. Um, so those were the some of the takeaways that I had from that game. Look, Ollie Gay, 6'6", 262 pounds, the JC transfer from Garden City, City College. And uh, this is a dude, man. He starts outside, very quick spin move, uh, back to the inside to hit the quarterback's arm as he was throwing. Also timing his... his uh, Timing was impeccable with his hands and knock knock another pass down. Now, it reminds me of uh, Uchenna Nwosu at USC. Wasn't always getting to the quarterback, but always knew he'd read those quarterbacks' eyes, knew when the football was coming out, get his hands up to knock a football down. And, and that's something you know, you're going to see double-digit pass breakups from Ali Gay when it's all said and done, much like you saw from Uchenna Nwosu coming out of USC. And uh, whenever Ali Gay decides to come out, he'll be a day-two pick because of his ability to get after the quarterback and then get his hands up into the passing lane as well. Um, Cincinnati taking on SM, SMU, battle of unbeaten teams there in the American Athletic Conference. Cincinnati, 42-13 to 13 winners. This was an ugly game. I think, you know, you saw a lot of uh, a lot of drop passes. Uh, you know, Kylan Granson, I think everybody was really, you know, high on him as a, as a receiver, really good hands. Uh, or at least so you thought. Two drops in this game, and the more that I studied him, the more I really noticed he's a body catcher. You know, if he's 
on the move. You'll see him make some plays with his hands, but he lets the ball get into his body way too often. I think that's what you saw from a lot of the SMU receivers. I think there was some frustration there from, from Shane Bouchel putting the football on his receivers, and these guys were just dropping passes. I think there are six or seven drops in the game. Um, you know, Shane Bouchel, you know, a guy who I thought, you know, did a decent job putting the ball on his receivers, but really, you know, unforgivable for a senior uh, at the end of the first half, poor clock management, had a chance to tie the game, but instead they wasted a ton of clock and wound up having to call a timeout with just five seconds left and then kicking a field goal instead. Kind of changed the complexion of the game uh, a, a little bit there. Um, I thought for Cincinnati, you know, Desmond Ritter, 6'4", 215-pound Richard uh, Jr. You see the arm strength, a guy who just, it's very effortless. The ball comes out of his hand, but everything seems to be a fastball, whether it's a 40-yard throw down the field or a six-yard uh, hitch route. Everything's a fastball. Don't really see a ton of touch out of him, but he's a tremendous athlete. And that's really what you saw out of him in this game. Eight carries, 179 yards, and three touchdowns. Um... Defensively, I thought Kobe Bryant, name for the, the basketball player, but he spells his first name C-O-B-Y, number seven there, 6'1", 198. You know, physical guy, wants to get his hands on you, jamming out the line of scrimmage. Um, got beaten on a, on a back shoulder throw. This, this double double move by the, the receiver. Uh, got a step on him, then step, you know, stopped, able to open up. And uh, you saw Kobe Bryant, you know, I thought there was a little bit of stiffness to his hips a little bit because that transition, there was a little bit of a pause and a little bit of that wasted movement there. Uh, Maijai Sanders, the, the defensive end there for uh, for Cincinnati, number 21, 6'5", 258, showed speed off the edge, running the arc, getting around to the quarterback in a hurry, kind of untouched, forced the quarterback up in the pocket uh, into a sack. Uh, quarterback rollout came downhill, pressure the quarterback, forced him to, to step up and, and force a throw into coverage. And then on a fourth and five, gets that push up the field again, ran by the left tackle and threw the running back's block. Uh, actually, I think it was a right tackle now that I think about it. But uh, you know, through that run, the running back block, dove for the quarterback, nearly got to him on the rollout, ultimately forced uh, Shane Bouchelle to throw the football away. Um, those were the guys that I really took away from that game. But again, an ugly, ugly game to watch because there were so many drops, so many mishandled, uh, you know, mishandled plays on both sides of the football. Um, I'm looking at, at the American Athletic Conference, and I think Tulsa right now is the team to watch. You got Zach Smith, the quarterback. You got Keelan Stokes and company, the receivers. There's a bunch of receivers there. Uh, and then defensively, Zayvon Collins. You know how I feel about him. But especially if you can get Tyneal Martin, the safety uh, back. He's been injured. You get Christian Williams, the, the nickel back, uh, you know, to go along with Allie Green and uh, Caleb Evans, the, the corners. Big physical guys all over six feet tall. And then uh, Jackson Player, the uh, nose tackle, a guy who can also play defensive end, defensive tackle, uh, really explosive coming off the football. Tulsa's a team to watch, man. I think if there's any team that's going to take down Cincinnati, it's going to be the Golden Hurricane. Uh, really happy for Philip Montgomery there. You know, really has uh, has his best team since he's been there at Tulsa. So now we're at the end of end of the, the breaking down week number eight. So we're gonna do what we do every week. We're going to take a look at week number nine, the upcoming games and, uh, you know, Friday's matchups. You've got, you know, Minnesota taking on Maryland, um, going 
into Capital One Field. Um, I think Minnesota looking to bounce back here. You know, Maryland struggled against uh, Northwestern. I think this is where you're going to see Tanner Morgan really develop some of that chemistry with with Rashad Bateman, get that back, and uh, you know look out for uh, uh, you know for that defense to to really rebound as well. Tulsa taking on East Carolina. Um, that's going to be another matchup that you're going to want to watch just because. You get to see Tulsa play again. I think that's a team that, uh, again, is going to be a lot of fun to watch down the stretch. BC and Clemson, you're going to see Phil Dracovic go go up against DJ Uyagalele instead of Trevor Lawrence. I don't think it's really going to matter too much. I think there's just too much firepower for Clemson. I think Travis Etienne is going to have a lot more uh, to say there on the offensive side of the football. Defensively, you know, really, BC, Phil Dracovic, he loves Hunter Long. You're going to see a ton of targets there. You're going to have to try to take away that big tight end. Um, Cincinnati taking on Memphis. Look, Memphis took down uh, UCF. They're going to look to do the same there against the number 7th ranked Bearcats. Michigan against Michigan State. Look, the Spartans already lost to Rutgers. They're going into the big house there in Ann Arbor, taking on the 13th ranked Wolverines. And Joe Milton company offensively, defensively, the law firm of of Hutchinson and Pay, I think Michigan ends up having a, a field day there in that game. Uh, Coastal Carolina, look, they're up to number 20 in the country. The Chanticleers going to Georgia State. If nothing else, you want to tune in. Hopefully, Grayson McCall gets to play the quarterback there. Um, if Isaiah Likely, the tight end, plays, he's an NFL prospect. And then Taron Jackson, the defensive end, of course, um, is the, the heart and soul of that defense. Um, Iowa State still ranked. They're number 23 in the country, taking on uh, Kansas, the Jayhawks. Um, you know, really want to see how Brock Purdy responds in this bounce back game for them. Um, as we scroll scroll through things, um, Indiana ranked number 17 in the country, taking on Rutgers there in Piscataway. That's going to be an interesting game. See if Rutgers is for real. Can they take down um, you know, a ranked opponent here? Um, Notre Dame taking on Georgia Tech. They're going into Bobby Dodd Stadium. I, I think Notre Dame, um, you know, that, that defense, Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa, I think is the best inside linebacker in this draft. Going to be a top 15, top 20 pick when it's all said and done. A guy that uh, we didn't really talk about him when we broke down the Notre Dame uh, game, but a guy who... Can, can play against the run, can play sideline to sideline, can drop into coverage. Look, he was covering slot receivers and making plays on the football out there. I think the quarterback there, Joey Yellen, thought that he had the matchup that he wanted against the linebacker. But Owusu Koromoa, man, this guy's quick. He's fast. He's out there. He's that new age linebacker and a guy that uh, I think is going to make waves, especially when we get into the pre-draft process. Oklahoma State taking on Texas. Can Sam Ellinger and company challenge Oklahoma State? Can they put enough points up against that uh, that Oklahoma State defense? The vaunted defense now, led by by Trace Ford, Colby Harvell, Peel. Um, you know, can they slow down Spencer Sanders, Chuba Hubbard, Tylen Wallace uh, with, with Trevin, Tevin Jenkins blocking up front? I just don't think it's going to happen. Um, Boise. You know, taking on Air Force. You know, Air Force has Noah Laufenberg. I think a real, you know, mean streak there of a, of a guard. I think that'll be fun to watch there uh, against the interior line there for Boise State. Alabama taking on Mississippi State. Look, you know, KJ Costello kind of been a disaster ever since. You know, the team started, you know, playing, you know, really just rushing three, dropping eight. 
when they don't have much of a running attack when Kylan, you know, Kylan Hill's out of the game. If Kylan Hill's not playing this game, the Bulldogs don't have a chance. Alabama can really kind of ease John Mechie into that number two receiver role, see how Slade Bolden reacts as well. Um, you know, if there was a week that you were going to lose Jalen Waddle doing so against Mississippi State, a team that's really struggling to find any identity on either side of the football, th- this is probably the week to, uh, to have that first week without him because you can kind of ease those receivers into into things and really rely on, on Devontae Smith and Najee Harris going forward. Um, Ohio State, you know, they're headed into Happy Valley. Number three ranked Buckeyes taking on the number 18th ranked Nittany Lions. And look, Penn State, they're going to be salty after losing to Indiana. Um, Sean Clifford needs to have a big game. They need a running back that's going to step up. Uh, defensively, they're going to have to put some pressure on Justin Fields. I think at the end of the day, the, Buc- the Buckeyes are going to have a field day and roll in that game. Here's an upset alert for you. Uh, how about AM against Arkansas? Arkansas, look, they're, they're a team that continues to play teams tough. And uh, AM, you know, we know Kellen Mond, up and down season, up and down career. Um, I think Arkansas, that defense, uh, could potentially give the Aggies trouble. Uh, Florida, the ranked number 10 in the country, they've got, uh, you know, the Kyles, two guys named Kyle, Kyle Trask and, and Kyle Pitts, taking on Missouri. A much different team now that they have Connor Bazelak at the helm, at quarterback, Nick Bolton on defense. You got a couple of safeties that'll be playing at the next level as well. That's going to be a sneaky game there. Um, yes, it's going to be played in Gainesville, but I think Mizzou has a shot in that game. Uh, let's see. We got OU traveling to Texas Tech. See what Spencer Rattler can do in that game. BYU taking on Western Kentucky. I want to tune into this game, if nothing else, just to see what uh, D'Angelo Malone can do against against BYU, against Brady Christensen, the the junior left tackle, um, and really just get to watch Zach Wilson do his thing. This is a guy who, you know, if you're looking for that quarterback, who's going to be the guy that makes the, the that jump, that next leap? Zach Wilson is that dude. And uh, you know all the for all the conversation that we've had about some of these other quarterbacks, you know, look, you know, if Trevor Lawrence ends up going to the Jets and say the the Jags end up taking um, Justin Fields, Trey Lance goes to one of the other teams that's looking for a quarterback in the in the top part of that draft, and then Zach Wilson falls kind of into those teens. You know, look at what happened to to Patrick Mahomes going to the Chiefs. The Chiefs trade up to get him. Zach Wilson could be one of those quarterbacks who ends up landing in that perfect spot for a, a franchise. Maybe the Saints decide, you know what, we want a, a future quarterback and they target him. Maybe the Colts decide that they want to go after a quarterback of the future and they target him. You know, he could end up being that quarterback that gets into a nice situation and you know could really surprise some people down the stretch. Um, one game to make mention of, Wisconsin and Nebraska. Um, you know, the Badgers, they have a, a bunch of COVID uh, positive tests. And I mentioned Trevor Lawrence having a positive test, but also Graham Mertz. The Big Ten has a much stricter policy when it comes to positive tests. There's a mandatory 21 days that Graham Mertz is going to uh, be out. So, you know, and I think they've had 15 or 16 different uh, players test positive. So the game against Nebraska this weekend has been canceled. Uh, Hopefully they'll be able to field the squad here in the coming weeks. 
um, because I know you know Badger fans really want to want to see their team potentially challenge for a Big Ten title. Um, you know, and especially you know if you got Graham Mertz throwing the football, you got a great shot there at, for a Big Ten title and uh, potentially challenge for the playoffs. Um, so this could be a, a huge blow for that program. So we'll have to keep an eye on that going forward. So that's week number nine. Hopefully uh, you know, we have, a, have some decent games and we'll have a lot to talk about next week. So I hope everyone enjoys their week. Enjoy college football. Enjoy uh, the NFL week as well. A lot of nice matchups. We've got uh, the presidential election coming up on November 3rd on Tuesday. Uh, make sure that you go out, go out and vote. Um, you know, whether uh, you know, you're Republican, Democrat, you know, whoever it is that you're voting for, you know, across either of the aisles, um, you know, just make sure you do go out and vote whoever it is that you're voting for. Um, make your voice heard. And, uh, you know, we'll be talking about, you know, the, the results of the presidential election, I'm sure, in the media. Try not to do that on this podcast, though. We really want to stick to football. We really want to talk about the draft-eligible prospects for the NFL draft. That's what this podcast is going to be about. I want to give people, you know, that release. You know, there's going to be a lot of talk, a lot of stuff about the politics, a lot of stuff about COVID-19. I want this to be a release. I want this to be a way that you can get away from everything else, all that other noise, get here, and we can just talk football. We can just talk about the players. We can talk about... Uh, really what to expect as we get closer and closer to uh, the pre-draft process and really take things going forward. So, um, you know, I I think as I close, I think of a, a guy like Landon Collins who's battling that Achilles injury. Look, I'm, I'm coming up on two years since I, I tore my Achilles, and uh, it's still a process. You know, it's one of those things to where that a calf muscle, my gastroc and, and my soleus still, you know, struggle at times with that. But, uh, you know, it's getting better and it's one of those things to where I definitely you know, can, can empathize uh, with anybody who has an Achilles injury. So Landon Collins definitely uh, get better soon. Um, you know, that's one of those injuries to where, you know, you, they say that you can lose a step, but I think they've done a lot better medically with this. A lot of guys opting for surgery. I didn't have to have surgery. I didn't have a complete tear of my Achilles. I did have a, you know, a hole in mine. And uh, ultimately got that healed up and uh, through some rehab about six, seven months. Um, it seems right now that uh, kind of the injury theme is, is more of a torn biceps. I think a lot of guys are coming down with torn biceps. I have a friend who actually went down with a torn biceps, Steve Jackson. Um, you know, I know you're having surgery out there pretty soon. Another buddy of mine, Barry Dodson, uh, you know, he, he tore his biceps as well. Hopefully, uh, you know, speedy recovery to those guys. But, uh, you know, a lot of guys out there, you know, having some of these injuries. And that's the thing that you worry about. You know, guys without, um, without training camps, without a lot of time, you know, to really devote to playing in games, having game speed, you know, really tackling a lot. You're going to see a lot of those injuries. And uh, you just hope that guys can, can rebound and, and, and get better. You know, I look at a guy like Jalen Waddle once again, you know, that, that fracture Hopefully he'll be able to rebound and and uh, not only enter the draft, be one of those top receivers taken. I mean, you look at Dak Prescott and you look at what happened with him, that compound fracture of that ankle. You know, Andy Dalton goes down with the concussion protocol. Ben DiNucci is being talked about as the starting quarterback there. You know, the, the James Madison 
alum. You know, he tra- a transfer that came in from uh, from Pittsburgh. You know, he might actually be a Pittsburgh alum now that I think about it. You know, because I think he was actually a grad transfer there to James Madison. But in any event, you know, we're talking about Ben DiNucci as a as a potential starter. So I think as we go along, we're going to have to start talking more and more, not only about the guys at the top of the draft, but who are going to be those those day two, day three guys, potential um, undrafted free agents, guys that could end up making rosters and can end up being the next Ben DiNucci. You know, a, a third string quarterback who ends up making a roster and ends up getting a spot start here and there. Who are going to be some of those guys? You know, we're going to have to start taking a look at that as we get through the season. So I'll make sure to start calling that out as well. Not only the guys that are going to be your, your day one picks, your day two picks, but who are going to be the day three guys and those undrafted free agents that are going to be those surprises down the stretch. Because you know that there are going to be plenty of those guys out there. Um, and, and I can't wait to really get into some of those more more of those details as we get further and further into the draft process. Um, you know, week two of the Big Ten season coming up. Um, and in just a couple of weeks, we'll have the Pac-12 and the MAC. Uh, we'll make sure to, to take a look at some of those games as we get closer and closer to that season starting up as well in November. So uh, tune in next week. We'll do this all over again. Hope everyone's enjoyed the content. For readyforthedraft.com, this has been the Ready for the Draft podcast. I've been your host, Greg Schutz. Take care, everyone. Have a great week, and I am out of here.